What a great day to be together, to remind each other to be strong and to be courageous, and to draw ourselves closer to our God and to the face of our God. What a beautiful image to be able to sing about. Appreciate the opportunity to share in the Lord's Supper with so many good brethren, friends that care about the same spiritual things that we care about, and to be together to study from God's Word together this morning. I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of James, chapter 3, where we're going to reference in just a minute or two. We are, as Brother Brian pointed out, so very blessed and so very thankful for the number of visitors that have chosen to be with us. He referenced that you may be from the area, and if that's the case, we extend you a welcome to the Northfield Boulevard Church of Christ. He also referenced that you may be traveling and may be uh, just in this area for a short period of time. We have a rule here at Northfield Boulevard that if you travel here once or twice, you then must move here and be a part of our work as well. But for whatever reason you are here, whether you are from near or you are from far, we're thankful for the fact that you've chosen to encourage us and to be with us today. We began this year by talking about the vision of 2020 be a play on not only the year, but also on the concept that 2020 vision is perfect vision, and that having that perfect vision with one's eyes is a blessing. And it's something that even if you had at one point, the funny thing is, is as you grow a little bit older, you lose that 2020 vision and it goes bye-bye. But the fact of the matter is, is we see things perfectly through the lenses with which God provides us. And so we've looked at how God uh, wants us to look at sanctification, at marriage, at our families, at money. And today we turn our attention to how he encourages us uh, to look at our speech, our tongues, our mouths. And so I've entitled our lesson with a big exclamation mark, the tongue of fire. There is a lot of good that happens with our tongues, that happens with our speech. But you and I as good Bible students understand that the Bible warns us repeatedly about the subject of our speech and how we need to be careful with the way that we conduct ourselves in talking to others, talking about others, and talking with others as well. When it comes to our speech, when it comes to our tongues, we use it every day. We do an awful lot of it. Some of us talk a lot more than maybe others. And it is virtually essential to everything that we do. And for those who cannot speak, for those who are mute, uh, they have a serious handicap that prevents them from being able to communicate as well as those of us or the majority who do have the ability to speak with our tongues. But as I mentioned just a moment or so ago, I think it is clear that the scriptures warn us about our tongue and warn us about our speech. If it warns us one time, we must take it seriously. But the proposition that I'm making this morning and the reason that we're engaging so much time in this study of our speech and our tongue is not just because it was one of the 2020 vision topics that we kind of mapped out a year or so ago. But the fact is, is the Bible talks about our speech, talks about our tongues repeatedly and warns us about it and therefore we need to take it very 
seriously. What I want us to do this morning is to use four major passages that help us to understand the importance of being cautious with our speech. After we look at those four, we're going to look at some reasons why we need to be on guard, and we'll close with some applications to our study together today. But I want to start here in James chapter 3 in a text that is likely familiar to you. And in fact, if you were to engage in a a Bible study with someone on the subject of the tongue or of speech, James 3 has to be a part of that discussion. And so I want to read verses 1 through 12, and we'll read it relatively quickly and then come back and make a couple of quick observations about the text. My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone stumbles, if anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look at the ships. Although they are so large and driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder, wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father. With it we curse men who have been made in the, in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt, water, and fresh. We could spend all of our time just on those 12 verses and make a couple of three, four major observations. But let me just spend just a minute or two on this and and make four quick observations about the text. Number one is that no one is perfect and therefore is immune from these warnings. Remember that the Bible is largely addressed to Christians or to God's people. That's a point that I'll make three or four times in our study together today. So this is not a message for people of the world. That's not to say that people of the world can't uh, improve themselves by improving on their speech and being careful with the way that they talk. But the Bible is addressed, and James here is writing to Christians, to people like you and me, that even though we've been redeemed, even though we've been regenerated, even though we've been washed by the water of baptism and the blood of Jesus... We are not immune from these warnings. The second thing that I would point out, if I were going to do a more lengthy sermon just on James chapter 3, is that big damage can result from such a small part of man. When you think about it, the tongue is very small. And if you think about the most important parts of your body, we typically think about the heart, or we think about the lungs, or we think about one's brain. We think about those major organs that are necessary for life. And it is true that the tongue is not necessary for life in the same vein, but it is necessary for virtually everything that we do in terms of communicating with others and being able to share conversation with the world. 
Yet this small part of the human body is responsible for so much damage so that marriages have been destroyed, friendships have been lost, people's jobs have been taken away simply because of the tongue. Think about how important that is. Thirdly, not even Christians are allowed to ignore this warning. He says, my brethren, these things ought not be so. And then number four is our goal is for hypocritical speech to be unnatural. The point that he's making in those last two verses is, is, is very apparent. That you don't have fresh water and bitter water coming out of the same source. So it ought not be that a Christian who has voluntarily said and saluted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Master will do whatever you want, but I want to talk however I want. As we prayed this morning, we want to make sure that God's will is our own will. So this kind of house those thoughts in your mind as we think about the applications coming up near the end of our study. But I want to go to a second passage. And if you were to make a list of four passages about the tongue, you would probably come up with James 3, but you might come up with ones that are different than what I came up with. That doesn't mean that mine are wrong or yours are right or vice versa. It's just simply that there's so much in the Bible about the power of one's speech. But I want to go all the way back to the Old Testament, and there are bunches of Proverbs that talk about our tongue, that talk about our speech, that talk about our attitude as revealed in the words that we use. But in Proverbs chapter 11, I want us to uh, make a point here, because I think this is a very important point, an application for us to be made from Proverbs chapter 11. And let's go back to verse 12, just to get a little flavoring of what Solomon's talking about here. He who is devoid of wisdom despises his neighbor, but a man of understanding holds his peace. There's something to be said about speech there. But let's go to verse 13. A talebearer reveals secrets, but he who is of a faithful spirit conceals a matter. Someone once said the book of Proverbs is the book of God's wisdom on display. It says if God says you want to know wisdom, open up to 31 chapters worth of it. Someone once said, if you don't know what else to read and it's the 15th day of the month like it is today, just open to Proverbs 15 and read that. If it's the 20th day of the month, you read Proverbs 20, so on and so forth. And so in one month, you can progress through the book of Proverbs and read about all the wisdom that God has put on display. God's wisdom is, as we read about in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and as we get the flavoring over the book of Proverbs, very different from man's wisdom. The thing we need to appreciate here is when he uses the term talebearer, he is literally talking about someone who is going to bear a tale, someone who is going to carry around stories to others. And you may, in fact, let's strike that, you do know individuals who are talebearers. They are individuals who enjoy carrying around stories to others. And rather than lifting up others and encouraging them, they love to tear down others. And they love to uh, tear them down to the point where they no longer have the courage to stand up for themselves. Note, if you would, two things as a way of application before we get to the application. This is very, very important because I've seen so many Christian relationships destroyed or at least hampered and certainly relationships in the world where people don't understand these two things. Number one, there is nothing 
wrong with knowing a secret. And I'm not talking about secrets about who robbed the bank. Uh, that's a secret you need to go ahead and divulge to the police. I'm not talking about those kinds of things that could get a person in trouble with the law, for example. But you may know. You may know of an issue that someone else is going through. Maybe they've confided in you. And they have relayed to you the challenges of their life and the temptations that really impact them. And now you know a secret. It is not your responsibility to share that with others. I remember a conversation that I had with my mom years and years ago when she was serving as the wife of an elder, when my dad was serving as an elder for a period of time. And I innocently asked, who was on the phone? Because back then, this may be hard for those of you who are younger, there was like one or two phones in the entire house. Not everyone had one in their pocket. But I asked who was on the phone. And she said, it was someone. And I said, well, who was it? She says, I'm not going to tell you. I said, well, what were you talking about? I was quite nosy back then. And she says, I'm not going to tell you that either. And then she used a phrase that I thought was important. She said, I'll go to my grave with that conversation. Because someone had called to confide in an older Christian woman's perspective. And she said, I'm not going to share that with anyone. Did you know that there are people who cannot keep secrets? <laughs> that there are people that will tell you, do not tell me something because I cannot keep it a secret. And sometimes we look at that as being kind of joking. So like when it comes to a, a, a surprise party or a present, you don't tell, don't tell them. But that's not a good quality when it comes to the spiritual side of being able to conceal a secret because Proverbs 11 verse 13 says, he who is faithful in spirit conceals a matter, which brings us to the second point, and that is there's something right with being able to conceal a secret. So we are not men and women who get excited about finding out bad news about someone else or someone else's misfortune or someone else's uh, sinful behavior, and then we go and spread it to everybody else. More about that in just a moment or two. I want to go to our third passage and uh, read from Romans chapter 1, verses 28 through 32. Uh, I hope you understand what I meant by, by this point here that I'm going to put on the screen. But this is an ugly passage. I'm not suggesting that the Bible is ugly. I'm just suggesting that the content of what God is writing about here is quite ugly in terms of behaviors of individuals, including sometimes ourselves. And remember that Romans was written to Romans who were Christians, not Romans who were just citizens in Rome or residents of that empire. But in Romans chapter 1, verse 28, even they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. God gave them over to a debased mind. That's a strong term, debased mind, to do things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness. And then he makes this list. Sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whispers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God that those who practice these things are deserving of death, not only do the same but also approve of those who practice them. 
So there's all that ugly stuff that we say, I don't want to be a part of any of that stuff because that stuff is anti-God. That stuff is anti-Christ. But God says, I want to spend some significant time describing the ugly things that we are to avoid. And you'll notice that there are two different terms that are used there, depending on the version you're reading from, where he says they're backbiters or whisperers in verses 30 and then in the latter part of verse 29. He uses the term whisperers. And those of you that are reading from the NIV or the New American Standard, it uses the word that we use a little more frequently, and that is gossips. And we understand what a gossip is. And I think we all understand that gossip is wrong, and gossip is threatening to the relationships that we treasure and love to have with one another, but yet it's so easy to get involved in it. Secondly, he uses the term backbiters. The New American Standard and the NIV here use the word slanderers. I've made this point now twice. This is now the third time that I'll make it because I believe it is very, very important. And that is Paul is addressing Christians. That tells me that simply because I've been baptized to have my sins washed away doesn't make me immune from being a gossip or a talebearer or a slanderer or a whisperer. We Christians need to ask ourselves a series of three things. Number one, when it comes to information that I have, is the information that I'm sharing with someone else designed to build up my brother or my friend? That's question number one. Number two, is the information that I am sharing with someone else truthful or is it hearsay? Is it something that I know to be the truth, or have I heard it to be the truth? It reminds me of being in the second grade when Mr. Underwood, the principal, called all of the boys in the entire elementary school into his office. I was so scared. The secretary said, are you okay? She was a member of the church, so she knew me. And I was like, yeah, I'm okay. I'm not guilty of anything, but I'm scared to go into his office. And someone had picked up, don't ask me why a, a eight-year-old would do this, but had picked up all the small one-inch tiles that had peeled off the bottom of the uh, bathroom floor and was throwing them in the toilet. Well, that's obviously not a very smart thing to do. Uh, why you do that, I don't know. I guess I gave you some sort of entertainment. Uh, but it obviously cost the school corporation and the taxpayers some money. So you can understand why he was upset about that. So I remember going into his office. He says, Leland, did you do it? No. I said, no, I didn't do it. He says, do you know who did it? And I said, I don't, but I've heard someone who did it. You know what he said? He said, I don't care about that. I don't care about what you've heard. I want to know if you know. I thought there was wisdom there because you get 13 different kids saying 13 different things and you don't know what to believe, right? So the fact is, is we share information that is truthful but just because we know truthful information doesn't mean that we have to share it going back to the previous point that we made a moment or two ago. Because just because it is truthful doesn't mean that it's necessary to tell. And thirdly, would I be embarrassed if others knew I were involved in this talk? It reminds me, and I may have told you this story before, but it reminds me of the preacher who supposedly had a legal pad on his uh, desk 
And whenever someone would come into his office and say, I need to talk to you about so-and-so, he would say, that's fine, but before you do so, would you please sign and date your name? The pad remained blank <laughs> for years. <laughs> because no one's going to sign their name to that. Because they probably haven't done what we're going to read about in just a few moments and gone and talked to the brother himself or the sister herself about the issue of whatever it was. A fourth passage is in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 14. And then we'll go and make some applications in our study. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 14. The Bible says the following forth, All the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. Paul here is instructing these early Christians about loving each other. And in many ways, it echoes the golden rule that, that we are familiar with in Matthew chapter 7, for example, in verse 12. The idea of treating others the way that we want to be treated, loving others the way that we want to be treated. The opposite of this very central, fundamental Christian trait is where he says, verse 15, you bite and you devour one another. Paul uses really strong imagery here to get a message across about the ugliness of what it means when we tear others down with our words. Again, one might think this would never be the case with Christians that Christians would never treat each other this way. And one might even ask the question, is the church talking about not a building, but a group of people, is it a place where this would not happen? Or is this a place that would happen? If you've been a Christian long enough, not to be depressing and not to be a downer, but if you've been a Christian long enough, you know for sure that Christians can sometimes say some pretty mean things to their brothers or sisters in Christ and tear them down and discourage them. Going back to James 3, James said it best, my brethren, these things ought not be so. We need to be men and women who understand that we as members of the church are different and we have been called out of the world that we are going to be different and we want to be different in the way that we conduct ourselves and in the way that we treat each other. I want us to look in the final part of our study at some reasons that we need to be on guard against an evil tongue, as if we haven't already fleshed that out. But let me just conclude with four quick reasons why that's important. Number one, as I hinted at just a moment or so ago, fiery tongue talk whether that be tailbearing, gossiping, slandering, uh, using inappropriate language, any of that fiery tongue talk is anti-church. It is anti of who we are as the bride of Christ. Whether that be gossip or backbiting or any impure use of the tongue, it actually flies in the face of the church's design. That's why I had our good brother read from Ephesians chapter 4, and there in verses 15 and 16 particularly, he says that we are to grow up in all things into Christ, including in the way that we communicate. And did you notice the three things that we do, that we as Christians are supposed to do? We are, number one, supposed to speak the truth. We are, number two, supposed to do so in love. And number three, we are supposed to work together. 
That reminds me closely of Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, where it says that we are to season our speech with grace. So there's a, an effective way of sharing with a brother that he is wrong, and maybe an ineffective way. Now, different people require different methods. One of the things we talked about in our Bible study this morning. That's true with people in the world, and it's true with people within the church itself. But fiery tongue talk is anti-church. Number two, we need to appreciate that fiery tongue talk is that which inhibits quality Christian communication. We're not going to take the time to read Matthew chapter 18, but you get the point of Matthew chapter 18. is all about dealing with a brother in sin, or if you have an issue with a brother, you deal with that brother or that sister one-on-one -on -one in private. And nobody else needs to know about it. And if someone else says, well, what was that conversation about that you all were having at the back of the building last Wednesday evening? You say, well, that was a private conversation and we resolved it or whatever the case may be, how you want to say it. But just because someone else knows about it doesn't mean that you have to reveal the secret. Remember, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 and 16 are key to this, where we read just a few moments ago where it says, speaking the truth in love, that we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Jesus the Christ. And let me suggest a, an additional passage just to kind of jot out in the side of your margin or to consider as well. And that is Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, where he says, walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time, and let your speech always be with grace seasoned with salt. We are a family. You and I are brothers and sisters together, and we have to communicate with one another, sometimes with difficult matters. And so remember I pointed out a few moments ago that I've known of Christians who have said some pretty hurtful and mean things. Or I've also known of Christians, you may have seen this before, I, I, I guess I want to say, I hope you haven't experienced or seen this, but chances are you have, who will refuse to speak to another brother. Let us flat out say, I'm not going to talk to that brother. I'm not going to talk to that sister. Because of some difference. Oftentimes, that was 12 years earlier. <laughs> I've often wondered, and I wrote an article about this a few years ago, is there going to be a reservation desk at heaven where mansions number 1 through 20 are reserved for friends and 21 through 40 are more spaced out for the people you don't like. I mean, it's just silly to think about. But there are people who are Christians who will not talk to other Christians. I've actually seen a Christian on one particular occasion, not in this state, uh, and not anyone that you would know, but that would walk past another Christian, and when you would say, hello, good morning, Barbara, good morning, Susie, good morning, whoever, Sam, uh, they would just absolutely refuse you or put up their hand and say, I don't see you. That's immature. That is not growing up into the Jesus Christ love that Ephesians chapter 4 is talking about. Let me suggest also there's never an excuse for allowing our tongues to get ahead of our brains. And sometimes that happens. And it happens to the, to the best of us, happens to the worst of us, right? Where sometimes we say something and it's almost like as it's coming out, your brain is engaged and saying, oh, that's not going to go well. You've had that with a boss maybe. 
You've had that with your spouse, perhaps. You've had that with your parent. Most of us have had that happen with our parents. That's not going to go well since I said that. We have to be very aware that Satan locks onto our tongues to seek his opportunity. He doesn't have to get you to do all of the ugly stuff in Romans 1, 28 through 32. If he can just get you to do one or two things. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 is a passage that came to mind that I thought was of interest to consider. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 10, To whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his wiles or of his devices. Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 26, Be angry and do not sin, do not let your son go down in wrath, nor give place to the devil, or give the devil a foothold, some more literal translations worded these days. In short, we have to have the perspective of God, who according to Psalm 86 verse 5 was not reluctant to forgive, but is ready to forgive. And I think that there are individuals in the world, I, I know there are individuals in the world who are reluctant to forgive. And it's almost as if when someone is approaching them to say, I'm sorry, will you please forgive me? There's a sense of remorse over the person asking for forgiveness because holding the grudge was more fun uh, than giving forgiveness. That's not a spiritually minded person's attitude. That's not what Christians should be like because grudges are ugly. And let's just be honest with ourselves, and I'll be honest with myself. Do you ever struggle with this? And the chances are, are we do from time to time. A third reason why all of this matters is not just because it's part of 2020 vision or a theme that we came up with a year ago, but fiery tongue talk sets a bad example for those who are in the world. In many ways, the church is trying to do everything opposite of what the world is doing or what the world stands for. Think about it from this perspective, in quotes, everything that my neighbor does, I want to be different. Now, chances are, as we talked about in our Bible class this morning, most of our neighbors are decent people. We get along with them. Most people in the world are decent, moral individuals. But what I'm suggesting is that there are so many people in the world that allow themselves to get their tongues ahead of their brains and they do not correct their speech that they do not want to be, that we do not want to be like them. After all, Titus 2 and verse 14 says that we are a peculiar people. We are to be different from the world. The same thing is written about by the Apostle Peter in his letter. What makes us think that others will want to be like us, to be like Christians, to be like our Savior, if, going back to what we said a few moments ago, in Galatians chapter 4, we bite and devour one another. And that leads me to reason number four, and that is this. This fiery tongue talk assists Christians in becoming unfaithful. What I mean by that is simply this. I have, again, 
known of men and women who at one point were faithful children of God, but because of what someone else said about them or to them, gossiped, whatever the case may have been, they've left the church. They've left the faith. They are in error. Now, it is true that we cannot blame another person for forcing me to sin. That person will have to stand on the day of judgment for choosing to walk away from the faith. But our actions either help others or they hurt others. Did you notice one of the things that was written in two different texts that we read, including Romans chapter 1, verse 32? That those who gossip and those who backbite are in sin. And I think we all understand that. We all agree on that. Even though we say, yeah, I've, I've done that a time or two, I, I, and I try not to anymore. Great. But did you also see that there in Romans chapter 1, verse 32, not just those who do it, but those who do what? Listen and accept it. And so those who gossip and backbite are in sin, but also those who listen are in sin. And thirdly, those who leave the church in a huff are in sin. So we have to make sure that we guard ourselves so that we don't give anyone, anywhere, at any time, any excuse to leave the faith. Well, let me conclude with the very, very practical side of things, and that is this. Avoiding tongue-based sins is our goal. No debate about that at all, right? We all agree on that. But the practical application can be very challenging for us because it's not always easy. Let me suggest four very quick techniques. These are techniques that I've sometimes used and sometimes I've not used and paid for. <laughs> and these are things that I've seen others do quite well. Number one is refuse to argue. Now, discussion, disagreement is sometimes necessary. And when it comes to matters of doctrine and matters of faith, we discuss that. And we disagree on that with people of the world or people of denomination. We say, you know what, that's just not right because of this particular passage. That's not what I'm talking about. Arguments and viciousness is, however, a bad thing. Arguments that are over the top, arguments that are where now you get into attacking a person's name or attacking a person's motive. Remember, if you would, a real argument requires two people. It reminds me of uh, an elder who served for probably 25 years for whom I had a lot of respect. He's now deceased. And uh, he said that he never had uh, an argument with his wife. And they'd been married for 62, 63 years. Never had an argument. She was deaf. <laughs> literally deaf, not, not, not a joke. She's literally deaf. She's lippery. So she would just turn and walk away. How do you argue with someone who's not going to argue with you? They've never had an argument in 63 years of marriage. Well, you get the point. Is that... Sometimes when there are people who want to engage in filthy talk or fiery tongue talk, don't engage them. Don't talk with them. Don't listen to them. Don't participate in that conversation. Let me suggest, secondly, that you pick the right time. Disagreements handled with respect are better than the alternative. 
And can I just say something on a very personal note here? And in, 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 in the 13 months, yes, it's been 13 months. Can you imagine that I've been here, uh, that we've been here? Time flies when it's 2020 <laughs> and when you're having fun. Uh, and no one has done this to me here. But I'm just making a request for my sake, for people who have my kind of mentality. Kerry was talking about his mentality and the way that he approaches things. We're all different in the way that we approach things. But remember that the Lord's day is the Lord's day. And the point that I'm making is simply this. If you have a disagreement with your brother or your sister, and it's a serious thing that needs to be discussed, if at all possible, try to take care of it on Saturday or take care of it on Monday. Now, I can't point to a scripture that proves that. I can point to some scriptures that share some reasons why. But here's the worst thing that you can do for me on a Sunday morning. Come to me at around 9.15, 15 minutes before Bible class starts, said, I need to talk to you about something. <laughs> now, if it's need to talk to me about something that's joking or whatever, that's fine. But you know what I'm going to be doing in a Bible class? I'm thinking about what you're going to talk about. I'm thinking, what did I do wrong? Now, partly that's because I, I can see things negatively sometimes when I shouldn't be seeing things negatively. If at all possible, try to preserve the Lord's day for good speech and for focused attitudes on the things that matter the most. Remember, number three, that some people are more naturally argumentative, and sometimes the best defense is a lack of offense. Some people cannot be argued with. Some people you cannot discuss with. Some people aren't really interested in having a discussion. They're just interested in, 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 in winning the argument. I would suggest reading and really reading Mark 15, verse 5, where the text says, Jesus still answered nothing so that Pilate marveled. And remember, number four, this, that tone matters. The tone that we use matters. It has been said by experts in communication, experts who are understanding what good communication is and what good communication is not, that what a person says matters less than how you say it. Someone even suggested it from an expert point of view, it's the 80-20 rule, that it's 80% how you say it and 20% what you're trying to get across. So remember, we are to be gentle, peaceable, reasonable among all men. Someone once put it this way, that you can be right, but you can be wrong at the top of your voice. And I thought that was interesting. So these are things that are not necessarily natural for us. Not, I'm not talking about as Christians. I'm talking about the fact that we are of the human race. These are things that are sometimes difficult for us. But the tongue, James says, is this unruly poison. It is a fire. But the great thing about the tongue is not only does it have the capacity to do this ill will in the world, but it has capacity to do so very much that is good. In fact, the greatest thing that your tongue can do today is to confess Jesus as the Son of God and say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Speaking of a mute person, I once saw a person who could not speak confess that Jesus was the Son of God. 
he went up to a blackboard and he wrote, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Can you imagine there being a dry eye while watching him write that out? My point is, is you with your mouth today can confess Jesus and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. We want to help you with that. And if you are ready to become a child of God today, we're ready to assist you. If you are here, and the vast majority who are here this morning are already saints, you're already Christians, we want to help you. If your speech is not what it should be, if you are involved in gossip, backbiting, tail-bearing, whispering, tearing others down, using bad language, if you're doing any of all those things, uh, then we want to do what we can to help you to make correction in your life. If we can assist you in that way or in any other way spiritually, we'd welcome the opportunity. Let us know while we stand and sing at this time.